Let's bow our heads and pray together, if you may. Lord, if we hear the message of grace, uh, it was at the heart of all that we sang a little while ago. Uh, We will feel that we are, many of us, in familiar territory. And so we pray that you would surprise our minds and our hearts uh, in a, a depth of, a new depth of awareness of just what it is that you've done for us. In Jesus Christ. Amen. Gobsmacked. That's the word with which Paul begins uh, the passage that we heard from Galatians. It's chapter 1, verses 6 to 12, and if you've closed your Bibles, it's on page 1168. One of the great things, of course, about St. Paul is that he's not nice. So he's unafraid to, uh, to go straight, straight for it. Uh, as he heads into this um, rant at the Galatians. Uh, Some of the um, uh, background we covered a couple of weeks ago uh, before the um, uh, holiday club service, some of you will have been away. So take the time either to uh, listen to that or to at least read through the uh, earlier verses. And perhaps read the whole of Galatians. Uh, Small groups uh, will at some point be studying it, uh, and I hope uh, it'll be useful gobsmacked I am that you are so quickly deserting. That's how verse 6 runs. There is an intense feeling about this particular little passage. Only a few verses, but very, very intense. He begins with this strong statement of his astonishment uh, and goes on later to speak of others being eternally condemned cursed. When did you last seriously, in full awareness, uh, curse someone? Well, I hope not recently, but Paul is unembarrassed to do it. There's deep feeling here, because the gospel is under threat. The good news of Jesus is under threat, and those are cursed who offer a different gospel. That's the first of uh, three C's to bring to you. Those are cursed who offer a different gospel. Now, uh, the problem for me as a preacher is that I want to run on into later bits of Galatians and explain what Galatians has to say about what the true gospel is. But we will do that in uh, due time. There are some things we can learn about the true gospel, even from those first verses uh, today. Firstly, It is from Jesus himself. We'll begin at the end, if you like. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul had himself seen the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians there. And Jesus appears... uh, knocks him off his transport, horse, camel, I don't know what, and uh, identifies himself in a bright, blazing light and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's where it all kicked off. 
in terms of his direct encounter with Jesus. But we also know, piecing together some of the things he says, and most particularly trying to work out the timeline of when he says them, that he must have spent uh, about 17 years between that encounter and actually fully engaged in new ministry. It's a long time. I guess he was making his tents or whatever it was uh, he did for a living. But he was away, we know that, for a good stretch of time. Uh, and we take it from passages like this, that he had a strong sense of personal encounter once again with the risen Lord Jesus Christ as he burrowed and delved further into that first opening sentence, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up because you've got work to do. It's from Jesus himself then, this gospel. Secondly, it's all about grace. We explained something about grace last time. Uh, Gobsmacked I am that you are so quickly deserting, verse 6, the one who called you by the grace of Christ. To himself, Paul was the sinner saved. He'd had this uh, extraordinary reputation as uh, a Pharisaic Jew, a great teacher, uh, and uh, it was from that background that he knew these new Christians were wrong, and he had the zeal to get on and persecute them. So when he was turned around, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, of course he looked back and said, I am the worst of sinners. He knew he was the sinner saved. This came to him out of the blue, literally out of the blue sky, this bolt from heaven. He was met by the shock of grace. Just encountering him when he knew nothing of God's goodness. That's the true gospel. It comes out of grace. And the false gospel that Paul is dealing with as he writes to Galatia, Galatian churches and, li- and listens to the stories coming out, the false gospel was probably not Jesus is not your salvation. The false gospel was probably Jesus is great. Jesus is marvellous. Jesus gets you into the people of God. And now that you've got into the people of God, obviously you'll want to stay in the people of God, won't you? So there's certain things you need to do. We'll find out a little more in detail what those are later on. But for now, let's just say it's really important to keep all the food laws. uh, And um, we must have a word about circumcision. That's probably what the false gospel was. Jesus was great. Gets you in. But once you're in, let's... um, Let's talk about how you stay there. And Paul understood that the moment you add anything to Jesus, it's Jesus and food laws, Jesus and circumcision, Jesus and the law uh, of Israel, you've actually undermined him completely. I wonder, it may not be food laws and circumcision for us, but I wonder what it is in our day. What are those things that, uh, having, having learned the gospel, yes, it's about Jesus... We then try and say, yeah, well, okay, that's, that's great, great, glad you've got, got that bit, but this is how you need to keep, keep in. I was, uh, some of you know I'm doing some work in Calvin at the moment. I was delighted the other day to come across uh, a passage in Calvin saying, yes, yeah, Sundays are important, but only because we say they are. Not important to God, it's just convenient. I think it's marvellous. Calvin, 16th century, yes, yeah, Sundays are okay. So much of what we say and get really worked up about that must be really important for the the real Christian who's trying to stay in the faith 
probably isn't. We've had an American staying with us uh, over the last couple of weeks, and uh, in his church back home, uh, the uh, pastor has hung up his Hell's Angels kit. Uh, Still loves going out on the bike, uh, still loves meeting with the Christian Hell's Angels, whatever they call themselves, I'm not quite sure what. Um, there's a challenge. Yes, I was a hell's angel. What am I now? Um, uh, but uh, uh, still loves all the good stuff, but has hung up the lifestyle. Uh, has turned from that because that was incompatible. But still loves the bike. Still loves going out with his mates on the bike. Still pro- probably has inappropriate facial hair. But in the middle of all that, has got Jesus. And what are the things, and certainly in small group notes, uh, you'll be invited to consider carefully, what are the things that we add to Jesus to say, okay, it's great that you've got Jesus, but now this is how you stay in. We're not crude enough to say uh, that that Jesus is the wrong. We know Jesus is the right thing to do, but this is how you stay in. So it's of grace, but it's not an easy grace uh, in that uh, somehow, uh, because it's of grace, because grace finds you as you are, and deals with you as you are, and God loves you as you are, and is merciful to you as you are, it's not a kind of easy in, easy out. Easy come, easy go. To leave this gospel according to verse 6 is desertion. It's the word used of soldiers who leave their post. It's the word used of philosophers who switch camps from uh, the, the, the kind of the blue corner to the red corner in terms of the philosophical arguments going on in those days. To leave the gospel, even if it found you as you are, and was in that sense, uh, my yoke is easy, to leave it is desertion. To change the gospel is to trouble the church, to throw you into confusion as he says there in verse 7. And so we get this very strong couple of verses. There's, there's no uh, easy way. In fact, very often we just keep the original Greek at this point. This language of eternally condemned in verse 8, and then again in verse 9, is anathema. And we say, we say it's anathema to me. That's the word. It was something which you would devote to God in order that he should destroy it. It's very strong. And it's the kind of language that lies behind uh, the anxieties people express when they say, I don't really like St. Paul, he's not nice. It's, I asked you earlier, when did you last curse someone? But this isn't, this isn't Paul's approach. He says, look, let even me be cursed. Or an angel from heaven be cursed if we get this wrong. You cannot, you must not, you should not, you ought not. Do not add to the gospel of grace. So those are cursed who offer another gospel. We, though, are called by the God of the gospel. Do you notice in verse 6, it's not you're, you're so quickly deserting the gospel. It's you're so quickly deserting the one the one who called you. All of this is from God. Think of uh, this this calling that Paul has received 
at the calling that the Galatians have received in the mouth of the preaching of Paul and others, it's all from God. To desert the gospel is to desert God. Think of all those callings that there were from Jesus on the lives of his disciples. Think of the moment when Paul himself had it explained to him. It's marvelous how what happens for Paul happens in stages. Uh, it, kind of part of me would have liked it if Jesus had shown up in glory and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, and now I'm going to take you through a correspondence course on how to be an apostle. He doesn't. He just says, now go and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. So he has to go to the next thing. And it's Ananias in the the city of Damascus who says, by the way, God's told me that you're going to reach the Gentiles. The calling uh, is, calling is the matrix through which Paul sees everything that happened. The call that was on his life, the call that went from Jesus, the call that is now going from God uh, through him to the Galatians. And it was received by revelation. In the context of what that story was, the good news in Galatia, Paul knew it didn't come from his college, from his Pharisaic background. It came from Jesus in person, simply telling him over those years, I suppose, in Arabia, telling him what the good news is, helping him work it all through. We're cursed if we offer another gospel. We're called by the God of the gospel and we're claimed into the service of Christ in the gospel. Don't think there's three points, by the way. There's another one after it, so don't get too excited about the end coming quickly. It won't. Uh, Paul is told, he's, um, he's been told, he's resp- rep- responding, it's one of those kind of one end of a phone call thing, um, that he's a, man, he's a man pleaser. The charge is not that he's made the gospel too hard, but that he's made it too easy. Because you haven't added circumcision, Paul, to your list of how to get into the good books of God, uh, you, are, you are adrift. You are at fault. It's a very serious charge. It, and it produces all kinds of scandal. This man, can you believe this man has just abandoned circumcision? This man has just abandoned what was at the heart of our faith. Well, faced with the message that God takes you as you are, you can understand why circumcision seems rather hard work, for half of us at least. But Paul is a God-pleaser. And the real problem is actually that it's they who are the men-pleasers. Because actually even circumcision is easier than the true gospel of grace. Precisely because once you're circumcised, it's done. All the demands are met. Whereas Paul, the God-pleaser, knows that we are called into a relationship in which we are claimed by Jesus. Not just called by grace, though that's true, but then claimed. And he can say, I do wish these translations wouldn't make the language nicer. Um, he, He says, I would not be a servant of Christ, in verse 10. Yes, okay, you can say servant. But it was the normal everyday word for a household slave. Grace draws us further up and further in. Unlike circumcision, there's no point where you can say, I have now done, I have now met the demands of God upon me. Grace kind of burns you up in the best kind of way. It is never satisfied because there is always more of us for Jesus to have. A friend of mine listened uh, recently 
to a, a, a new Christian song and complained that uh, all it did was saying, Jesus loves me the way I am. That's nice. But it didn't then go on to say, he doesn't leave me the way I am. He calls me, claims me into his service. There is a curse to offer another gospel. We're called by the God of the gospel and we're claimed into the service of Christ in the gospel. And I want to wrap it all up by saying this means it is of grace and it's, it's, it's almost Im- unbelievable, almost impossible that we shouldn't think of passing that on. See, I don't think we're in danger. I don't suppose we think we're much in danger from a false gospel. And that's going to be one of our problems in Galatians. We will say to ourselves, we're from a church with a strong reputation for gospel preaching. What could possibly go wrong? And in a gross sense, I'm sure that's right. I guess we do have the nous between us in most cases to notice if anyone is adding circumcision to the gospel or alcohol or dancing or tobacco or any of those other things that we put in the lists of things we can safely say we're not actually going to go wrong on ourselves. And that's the point. They're safe issues. But it's probably true that each experience of the true gospel has a kind of shadow side that generates a false gospel. And that false gospel is terribly dangerous for people in that particular context. What Paul is on about here really is the true good news. And I think it's probably true that generally that's what we say. But that means that we can quietly become proud of the fact that we've done the right thing in appreciating grace. We've understood what was going on at the cross. We can meet in our small groups, and most people there will know that this gospel thing works. Excellent. But... And this is what I take away from the passage. Especially when I hear the gospel that we heard read today from Matthew and Jesus talking about what's been revealed to those who are children. How would you describe the status in life that brings you here to this table this morning? Would you say, I'm a Christian? Or, Jesus is my saviour? I'm a believer? Perhaps younger ones may say, Jesus is my friend. None of those is wrong. But I wonder what kind of shift it would need in our minds and in our hearts to say, God called me. Why am I here to this table? Because God called me here. Or even, I serve Jesus. My question is this, what does it say about the gospel that we know, that we do not use these phrases, for, for which Paul reached so naturally? First, God called me. It has a verb in it. When we speak in those terms, God called me, we cannot help but recognize that this is a personal relationship of some kind. The living God of heaven and earth has opened his mouth and called to me. And it's a deep structure, that, in the Bible. God is forever calling someone. God is making himself known. But more than that, if Mike on the desk up there right now calls... I, thank you. <laughs> That's going to make them wonder on the tape. Um, if my, Mike on the, on the desk calls to me right now, I know I've got to move. There's something about the name of the verb, the, the word. He's called to me. It means I had to do something. It has a, a kind of flip side that means I, I can't say he called me unless 
I had actually answered. So first, God called me. Secondly, if I say God claimed me, I'm a servant of Jesus. There's both that relationship, because no one actually calls him Jesus unless there's a relationship, and there's also that sense of total dedication. Just as a soldier leaving his post means desertion, the slave staying at his post means utter dedication. He is entirely at his owner's command. I don't think our gospel is wrong, but I wonder whether it would steer closer to Paul's passion for grace if we found language like this in our mouths. And it's not just among us, but what we say in the rest of the world. If we speak in the world of being called, it introduces that healthy signal of the verb. It doesn't argue about whether there's a God. There's one of the most pointless discussions you can have. It just assumes God and says God has done something and done it first. Didn't wait for me. God has called me. Whatever else I say about me, my story begins with what God did. He called me. That has to be better, doesn't it, than I'm a Christian? It's harder to speak, but like Paul says about man-pleasing and God-pleasing, he's not here to make it easy. Or if we speak in the world of being in service, servant of Christ, it introduces a healthy signal that however God found you by grace, his grace doesn't leave you there, but calls you, claims you into something defined by total lifetime service to him, to Jesus. I wonder if we could actually discover among ourselves the courage that if we were at a social occasion and someone said to us, what do you do? I wonder if we could ever say, oh, um, I serve Jesus. Wouldn't, Wouldn't you come away from that occasion thinking, I cannot believe I actually did that? If you didn't have to say, I'm a teacher, I'm a a nurse, uh, I I clean streets. If you just said, oh, I I serve Jesus, that would be so scary. And yet that's the language that Paul is using to describe his status. These are powerful realities for believers to get our heads around. But I, I suspect they're also powerful in the world. And that's maybe why Paul reached for these languages. I reckon that if our own sense of calling was stronger, we would scarcely be, if we're honest, as feeble as we are in the world. God called me as I was. Well, what a grace in God to call even me. And he claimed me to serve Jesus. Well, what a power to bring change in me. Do consider the language you use. Pray for your obedient service, that God, who's already called you, will through you call others. Let's pray. Lord God, we um, acknowledge before you that we, uh, we find it much easier to use very static language, language that doesn't offend anyone, We wouldn't begin an account of our service for you by saying we were gobsmacked. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would so work in us, not to tell us new things, you've told us in your word, but simply to, so that we do them. So that we would be so astonished by your grace in calling even us, 
so delighted that you call us into a lifetime where we can be bound in service to Jesus. That that overflows in language that's right for the context in which we find ourselves day by day, week by week. In Jesus' name, amen.